3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians on the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. You're on 3CR, 8.55am, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. This is Thursday Breakfast and I'm Katya. I'm in the studio on my own this morning, so we're going to have a very cruisy morning. We'll listen to a mixed bag of interviews, which I hope you'll like, some audio from a lecture at the Wheeler Centre last week, um, and then we'll be having an interview with uh, someone from the Wheeler Centre about an upcoming competition for podcasting. But first we're going to jump into a track. So because my teammates M, Shahrazad and Apech couldn't make it in today, I've chosen a song for each of them that I'm going to dedicate to them. So we're going to start off with M. Hopefully this will uplift your day with a bit of Sophie Grophy. Guatemala, I'm Black Betty, and you can join me for Black Noise Radio each Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Join me each week as I serve you up a deadly fine offering of all things black as we explore Black Australia and everything fabulous it has on the offer. We'll check out and see what's making black news locally and from right around Australia. And we'll explore all things Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander and the deadly solid culture and people with a look at community news, views, music, culture and the arts. Hope you can join me for Black Noise Radio featuring black news, views, current affairs, music, culture and the arts from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. That's me, Black Betty. I'll see you Thursdays at 2. You're on 3CR, 855 AM. It's Katya here. It's currently 7.07 and the weather today will be a top of 33, so a hot one, so you might want to hit the beach if you've got the day off, but it's currently 13. It came out last week that Simon Birmingham, former Education Minister and current Trade Minister, vetoed 11 Australian Research Council ARC grants in 2017 and 18. ARC grants must go through a peer review process. Uh, Peer review is where other people in uh, your sector of research review your grants. So it's essentially academics reviewing each other's work and it's quite a rigorous process. But under the ARC Act, the Minister for Education has the right to veto without providing reason. All 11 grants uh, vetoed by Birmingham were in humanities and the arts. And in a tweet, Birmingham said, I'm pretty sure most Australian taxpayers preferred their funding to be used for research other than spending $223,000 on projects like post-Orientalist Arts of the Strait of Gibraltar. Uh, And actually, that's not the full name for that article. And if you're interested, the professor that wrote that article, uh, you can find a piece by them online if you search for that title. 
Similarly, in 2005, Brendan Nelson also vetoed a number of grants, many being on the topic of gender. And much like Brendan Nelson, who at the time requested to introduce a community standards committee for ARC reviews, current Education Minister Dan Tehan has called for a national interest test. Now, Universities Australia has opposed this suggestion, saying that a national benefit test is already built into the review structure and an extra test is not needed, uh, but has welcomed the government's pledge to make public any ministerial veto. In a crikey article, Burmo's Pride and Prejudice show ARC grants need new rules, um, and it's also a humorous article that nicely interweaves um, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Uh, It's an article by Ben Etherington. Uh, He says that it's not just a case of culture wars, but, quote, reveals this to be an attack on the civic space of public research itself. It fits a pattern of disregard for the independence of our public institutions. Etherington says that this is also seen through the government's slow attack on funding for universities, its squeeze on free speech on campus and its attempts to intervene and defund the ABC. It's an interesting article and it's worth a read. Personally, I agree with Etherington, uh, but I also have further concerns. The first is that um, I feel that the pursuit of knowledge is something that we should value in in and of itself. Uh, and that we're creative and inquisitive. And when we look at academic discourses, such as feminism, queer theory, and other sociological discourses, we learn so much about the world, and we're provided with frameworks that challenge its inequities. And to confine uh, inquiry to government ideology really threatens our social progress. Secondly, I worry that the slow and steady attack on public institutions can be linked to the expansion of police powers, the rise and hold of the far right, and its strong presence in parliament, or the proposed bill that will compel communications providers to assist national security and law enforcement agencies. Uh, and that um, article, oh, sorry, that issue, if you'd like to know more, was featured on Done by Law this week. These are all closely connected examples that demonstrate the slow dismantling of our freedom and the threat to our civil liberties. Dinosaur Prize Surprise. It's a show about kid stuff. What sort of kids stuff? All sorts of kids stuff. I'm Carl Panuzzo. And I'm Daniel Salvatore Christopher Larkins Panuzzo. And we are... Playing the platters that matter. Spinning the discs with a twist. Talking the jab that will keep you alive. To make make sure sure you really really exist. Every Thursday... From 3.30 till 4. Right here on 3CR. 855 on your AM dial. We have giveaways and question time. We'll need you to SMS your favourite line. So tune in to find out what's going on in our world. I'm Dinah, surprise, surprise. You're on 3CR, 855 AM. If you've just tuned in, you're just on the airwaves with me this morning, Katya, as my beautiful teammates, M. Scheherazade and Apech, couldn't make it in this morning. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm playing each of them a song this morning. Um, first off, I played M a song, uh, their favourite song at the moment, which is Sophie Grophy's Purple Sway. Um, but now I'm going to play a song for Scheherazade, who recently got me into... Uh, Um, Jamila Woods so this is Very Black featuring No Name 
celebrate International Day of People with Disability at the Victorian Disability Sport and Recreation Festival. With over 30 exhibitors and three activity zones, come and try different inclusive sports, meet Paralympians and watch the AFL Wheelchair Challenge. This is a free, accessible, family-friendly event. Monday the 3rd of December from 10 till 3pm at Crown River Walk. For more information, visit dsr.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Genocide here is a lot more sneaky than it is in Rwanda or other places around the world. It's one thing white fellas learnt in the last 200 years to be very sneaky about their genocide. You look at the 38 nations that were here before white settlement and then you count up the numbers that are still surviving, still out there doing their business on their country. Well, there's only 25 left, so what happened to the other 13? Let's talk about the Black GST. Genocide to be stopped, sovereignty acknowledged and treaties made. Tune in to Fire First every Wednesday from 11am till 12 midday on 3CR with Robbie Thorpe. You're on 3CR, 855am, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. It's just on 17 past 7. Last Wednesday, the 24th, of October, the Wheeler Centre, in conjunction with Deakin Gender and Sexuality Studies Research Network, hosted a lecture by Sarah Ahmed. Sarah is an independent feminist scholar, writer and activist. She has held academic appointments at Lancaster University and Goldsmiths University of London. Her work is concerned with how power is experienced and challenged in everyday life and institutional cultures. She has recently completed a book called What's the Use? On the Uses of Use and has begun a new research project on complaint. I was lucky enough to attend Sarah's lecture last Wednesday at uh, the Wheeler Centre and it was an incredible lecture and I felt that it related to a lot of the work I do also in student unions around complaint processes against universities. So enjoy the first segment. This is the first time I'll be presenting some of this material which is drawn from my research project on complaint. And I want you to know that some of this material is going to involve descriptions of sexual harassment, assault, racism and bullying. The lecture is dedicated to those of you who, whether through formal complaint or some other means, have identified and challenged abuses of power. It is because of the work that you do that we have a chance of getting through. So the title is simple, it's the work that I'm doing on complaint. So my lecture today is an attempt to think through the experience of complaint, to think about that experience and to think with those who make complaints. I'll be drawing on interviews I've conducted with staff and students who have made complaints within universities that relate to unfair, unjust or unequal working conditions or to abuses of power such as harassment and bullying. I want to give room to complaint, to listen to complaint, in order to counter a history that has become routine 
in which those who complain are dismissed, rendered incredible, unable, unable even to bear witness to their own experiences. One postgraduate student I spoke to who made a complaint about disability discrimination was told in a letter that she had, and this is a direct quote from the letter, misinterpreted her own interpretation. <laughs> the mere fact of making a complaint can be used to cast doubt upon the person who complains. An early career lecturer who made a complaint about how the university mishandled her sick leave was told that her ability to complain was evidence that she was not unwell. If I was well enough to stamp my foot and complain, then I was well enough to work. Stamp my foot and complain. Because she could hear how she was being heard, we too have the opportunity to hear something. How a complaint is audible as a tantrum. How the complainer is cast as spoiled. How a grievance is heard as a grudge. Being able to complain about an oppressive situation is used as evidence that you are not rarely oppressed by that situation. To complain within an organization so often brings you up against it. So this early career lecturer realized through making the complaint that I wasn't just a person who was off sick. I was a person who had a grievance against the way I had been treated at the university. And in making that complaint, she has to teach herself about how the university works, to show the university how it had failed its own procedures and policies in relation to equality and dignity at work, as well as the management of attendance. She describes what it was like to do that work. It was like a little bird scratching away at something, and it wasn't really having any effect. It was just really small, 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 and behind closed doors. I think people maybe feel that because of the nature of the complaint, and you're off work, so they just have to be polite and not talk about it, and so much of their politeness is because they don't want to say anything. And maybe it is to do with being an institution and the way they are built. Long corridors, doors with locks on them, windows with blinds that come down. It seems to sort of imbue every part of it with a cloistered feeling. There is no air. It feels suffocating. It was like, note this it. A complaint as something you are doing can acquire an exteriority, becoming a thing in the world, scratching away a little bird, all your energy going into an activity that matters so much to what you can do and who you can be, but barely seems to leave any trace. The more you try, the smaller you become. It becomes smaller, small, small, small. A complaint is made confidential as soon as it is lodged. So all of this happens behind closed doors. A complaint as a secret, as a source of shame, as what keeps you apart from others, what is not talked about, private, yours, as you, you too. And note the physicality of the description. A complaint becomes a magnifying glass. So much appears. So many details are picked up by an attention. The intensity of an experience can be illuminating. The geography of a place, the building, the long corridors, the locked doors, the windows with blinds that can come down, less light, less room. You cannot breathe, cloistered, suffocating. To make a complaint within an organization can mean you become even more aware 
of just how little room you have. So in this lecture, I will approach complaint as a form of diversity work, as a work you have to do in order to be accommodated. Sometimes the work you have to do to be accommodated can make it even harder to be accommodated. So in making a complaint within an institution, you might not begin by thinking of yourself as a critic of the institution or as part of a wider effort to modify, let alone dismantle, its structures. But that is where many who make complaints end up. A complaint about what is going on within a university thus provides us with an alternative catalogue of the university. So I was inspired to do this project after taking part myself in a series of inquiries into sexual harassment and sexual misconduct prompted by a collective complaint lodged by students. I learnt so much from the work that they did to keep a complaint going. Since then, I've interviewed 34 people who've been involved in some way in a formal complaint process at a university, including students, administrators, early career academics, senior academics, and retired academics. So most of my interviewees got in touch with me through my website, and I'll return to this aspect of my data collection in my conclusion. And most of these interviews have been based where I'm based, in the UK. Although I have finished collecting the data, at least for this project, living a feminist life is data collection, I'm not yet ready to draw firm conclusions. And perhaps I won't ever be ready. What I hope to convey is live. It is happening now. All around us there are explosions, acts of speaking out and speaking back. Me Too is about giving complaints somewhere to go. So my lecture is thinking with those I spoke to, the complainers are my guides, they are my feminist philosophers, my critical theorists, also my collective. Because this material is confidential, many of those I have spoken to would fear the consequences for their lives and careers if they were recognisable from the data. I'll be sharing only fragments from each story. A complaint can be shattering, like a broken jug. We can be left in pieces. I'll be picking up some of those pieces today, not in order to create the illusion of some unbroken thing, but so that we can learn from the sharpness of each piece how they fit together. So the first section is called Institutional Mechanics. That was the first part of our uh, section on Sarah Ahmed's lecture that uh, happened last week, last Wednesday at the Wheeler Centre. We're going to have a short break um, so you can grab your cup of tea and then we'll come back for the next section of Sarah Ahmed's talk. I think 3CR is the voice of the people speaking back to the establishment and telling them what they think and sometimes it's something they don't want to hear. Great Voices number 17 is the latest two-CD set from Great Voices on 3CR. It's a unique collection of rare opera and song featuring current singers like Kaufman and Kalea and the best singers of the 20th century. Colour, Sutherland, Olivero, Schwarzkopf, Ghetto, Corelli, Pavarotti, Carreras and dozens more. Some less famous and some unknown. 
At $35 posted, $30 at 3CR, this two CD set number 17 will delight you with two and a half hours of glorious pleasure. Our previous issues are now only $10 each. Proceeds to 3CR. Ring now on 94198377 or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. You're on 3CR, 855 AM. I'm Katia, and it's just on 7.28. We're going to jump back into the second part of Sarah Ahmed's lecture on complaint. So why think of complaint as diversity work? By diversity work, we might be thinking about the work of trying to open up institutions to populations that had hitherto been excluded. I first wrote about diversity work in On Being Included, drawing on interviews with equal opportunity and diversity practitioners based in Australian and British universities. Most practitioners are appointed by organisations to transform them. But being appointed by an institution to transform it does not mean that the institution is willing to be transformed. So how diversity is used by organisations can even become a sign of the difficulty of getting through. So one practitioner described diversity as a big shiny apple with a rotten core. (laughs) It all looks wonderful, right? But the inequalities aren't being addressed. This practitioner described her work thus. It's a banging your head against a brick wall job. So here a job description becomes a wall description. And if you bang away at that wall and the wall keeps its place, you end up with a sore head. And what happens to the wall, all you seem to have done is scratch the surface. And this is what diversity work often feels like, scratching the surface, scratching at the surface. And we can think back to the image of the complaint as a little bird scratching away at something without really having an effect. It is because it is hard to get through that diversity work can be thought of as mechanical. You have to work out how you are blocked. You have to work out how the system is working to stop you. Making a complaint also requires becoming an institutional mechanic. You have to work out how to get a complaint through a system. It is because of the difficulty of getting through that the complaint often ends up being about the system. Now, this point might seem counterintuitive, given that organisations do have complaints procedures. Surely, to make a complaint is to follow the procedure for making that complaint. In fact, listening to those who have made or who have tried to make formal complaints has taught me that the gap between what is supposed to happen and what does happen is densely populated. So a complaint is a kind of mind the gap. Many universities in the UK include as part of their complaint policies a discussion of how they will record and monitor complaints. So one university writes that complaints will assist in identifying problems and trends across the university. And a typical way that complaints are described is as data, the data that's supposed to tell you what's wrong, what's going wrong. 
They then write that complaints will form the basis of positive publicity in demonstrating that identified issues have been resolved. <laughs> so when a complaint records a problem, a complaint can be quickly folded into a solution, a solution, a record of how universities have resolved something, so resolution, dissolution, which sort of means that complaints can be used rather like diversity as a way of appearing to address a problem. A complaint procedure is often represented as a flow chart, especially for student complaints. <laughs> flow, flow, away we go. <laughs> With paths and arrows that give the would-be complainant a route through. So I spoke to one administrator about her work in supporting students through a complaint process. So your first stage would require the complainant to try and resolve it informally, which is really difficult in some situations and which is where it might get stuck in a department. And so it takes a really tenacious complaining student to say, no, I'm being blocked. If something bad has happened and you're not feeling that way inclined, you can understand why a student would not have the tenacity to make sure that happens and to advocate for themselves. So you can imagine that something on paper that looks very linear is actually very circular a lot of the time. And I think that's the problem. Students get discouraged and get demoralised and feel hard done by and nothing's getting resolved and then they are in a murky place and they can't get out. So if a procedure exists in order to clear a path, that path can be blocked at any point. And a complaint is not simply an outcome of a no. A complaint requires you keep saying no along the way. So this practitioner acknowledges that what is required to proceed with a complaint in her terms, confidence and tenacity, might be what is eroded by the very experiences that led to complaint, something bad has happened, not feeling that way inclined. So unsurprisingly then, stopping is part of the life course of many complaints. A problem identified in a number of my interviews is the relative inaccessibility of complaint procedures. One student described it took us forever to try and find the complaints procedure PDF on the database. We knew it existed, but it was like a mythical golden egg. We just couldn't find it. And then when we did, it was so big that even two PhD students spent weeks trying to get through the small print to find out what the complaint process was. So if you can't find the policy, you cannot follow the path laid out as procedure. Or if you do find it, but it is hard to use, you might not make it to the next step. So a would-be complainer is one who has taken some steps in the direction of a formal complaint, perhaps by making an informal disclosure to a line manager, a supervisor or peer. And many complaints are stopped at this point through the use of warnings. A warning is an ominous sign, a sign of the danger to come. Warnings are useful because they articulate a no, don't go that way predicated not on some abstract rule, but on the complainer's own health and safety. Think of how the sign on the left is more effective as well as affective instruction. You would topple over. One student describes, I was repeatedly told that rocking the boat or making waves would affect my career in the future, and that I would ruin the department for everyone else. I was told if I did put in a complaint, I would never be able to work in the university, and that it is likely I wouldn't get a job elsewhere. So complaining here is framed as self-damage, 
as well as damage to others, ruining a department no less. And this student describes how the pressure not to complain was exerted. In just one day, I was subjected to eight hours of grueling meetings and questioning, almost designed to break me and stop me from taking the complaint any further. You can stop people from doing something by making it harder for them to do something. A warning can operate not simply as a predictive utterance, but also as a threat. This student commented on how the head department made reference in the meeting to her source of funding. To be reminded of how she is dependent upon the department for resources is to be told how the department can make her topple over a warning as a threat. Now, not all warnings operate as threats in quite this way. Warnings are often spoken in the language of care and concern. Another student describes, I ended up going back to the chair and saying, look, this is harassment, and I'm going to file a complaint. And his response was essentially, well, we are just thinking about your career, how this will affect you in the future. The implication is that to proceed with a formal complaint is not to think about your career. Being advised not to complain is offered as career advice. And your career is almost evoked as a companion who needs to be looked after. So maybe your career is a plant that needs watering so that it does not wither away. So if your career would wither as a consequence of complaining, then a complaint is figured in advance as carelessness, as negligence, as not looking after yourself properly. <coughs> if warnings are used to discourage a certain course of action, they can also function as positive directives. You might be encouraged not to make a complaint. Indeed, one academic described this approach as the default setting, the default academia thing, the university thing. It will be fine if we do wait. Don't make a fuss. So not making a complaint becomes a form of virtue and even good citizenship. Patience is tied to a positive outlook, as if the best way to approach a wrong is to assume that it will right itself in time. The flip side of a warning is thus a promise, an institutional version of what I call the promise of happiness, a promise that if you don't complain, you will go further. You got to remember, nine ops a special day for us, fellas. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. NAIDOC means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. NAIDOC means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcast. Happy NAIDOC! You're on 3CR, 8.55am, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. It's 7.39, I'm Katia. Uh, we just heard 
Sarah Ahmed's lecture on complaint, which uh, was held last Wednesday at the Wheeler Centre. If you were enjoying that lecture, and I'm sure you were, it was quite an amazing lecture. It was was provided to us courtesy of the Wheeler Centre, and you can find the rest of that lecture at www.wheelercentre.com forward slash broadcasts forward slash Sarah dash Ahmed dash on dash complaint. So as you may have been listening earlier this morning, my team is away and I have been getting through their song dedications. So my last dedication, it's actually my second last dedication, but my last dedication is to a pet um, because I know how much this one makes you dance. Fight for your mic. Want to support 3CR's diverse and independent voices? Well, it's not too late, and we still need your support. Donate now by calling 9419 or donate online at www.3cr.org.au or post us a cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277, Collingwood 3066. Fight for your mic. You're on 3CR 855 AM. It's 7.44. The next interview we have is from the lovely folk at Completada Bailable. They interviewed Denise Frizzo about the rise of Bolsonaro in Brazil. Denise is a journalist and a doctor in social sciences in the areas of migration. She's the co-author of the 2018 book Brazilians Abroad, Immigrant Voting and Political Engagement. And she is the General Coordinator and Spokesperson for the Brazilian Citizens Council of Victoria. Uh, just before we do jump to that interview, I should say, if you enjoyed that track, because Apeche always does, that was Yoga by Janelle Monet. But here is the interview with Denise Frizzo. We have today with us Denise Frizzo, um, who will be speaking to us a little bit about uh, the recent events in Brazil. Thank you for being on Completada by Lovely, Denise. Uh, my name is Denise Frizzo. I am Brazilian. I live in Melbourne since 2012. I've done my, uh, I am a journalist, uh, and now I'm working as an academic staff at RMIT in the Faculty of Media and Communication. I have done my PhD on Brazil, in particular on Brazilian elections um, uh, inside the immigration field. So my, uh, I've, I've launched the book this year called The Brazilian Immigrant Voting, talking about how Brazilians living abroad behave in, in, uh, in Brazilian elections. Well, can we start by, first of all, there was recent elections over this weekend in Brazil, for those who don't know. Brazil is um, hailed as the world's fourth largest democracy, uh, the biggest economy in Latin America. And um, the person who's come to power in Brazil, or who's won this election, is Jair Bolsonaro. Um, Can you just tell us a little bit about why um, everybody seems to be talking about Jair Bolsonaro and um, why this is very significant, not just for Latin America, but for the world, I guess. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, Jair Bolsonaro, he, he 
I came to the media, I would say, in particular when the event of uh, the Dilma Rousseff, the pre uh, previous president of Brazil, uh, was impeached. She is uh, she's been in the uh, parliament as a member of the parliament for 28 years as an elected member, but he he wasn't uh, actually a, a figure in Brazil since the episode of the impeachment of Dilma Rousseff. What happened was he had that opportunity because the voting in the, in the Brazilian Congress for the impeachment was <clears throat> live on TV. And what he did in that, in that day was when he, he got the chance in the microphone, he invoked uh, everything against Dilma Rousseff. Uh, he said he was in his uh, stage, he of course voted yes for the impeachment of her, and he dedicated his vote to the military dictatorship in 19 uh, from 1964, uh, who took Brazil into the shade of the uh, an oppressive, uh, oppressive uh, dictatorship, as we all know, and that took 20 years for Brazil to actually become a democracy again. So this was uh, the big thing on him. And surprisingly, or maybe not, many uh, many people actually start to uh, give attention to him and to admire him for for this. And of course, the big thing was that Dilma Rousseff was uh, from uh, the Labour Party, the Workers Party in Brazil, PT, which is uh, the big um, issue. Brazil uh, was ruled uh, by the Workers' Party since 2002 with Lula and then with Dilma Rousseff and then in the episode of the impeachment uh, was when the vice president which was elected with the Labour Party, the Workers' Party uh, joined the opposition and took the power. So that is what happened and Jair Bolsonaro was one of the supporters of this uh, of impeachment. So after this <clears throat> which was in 2016 so he, uh, uh, Jair Bolsonaro, started to become uh, more uh, in the media. So people started to follow what he was saying, and his his speech is really uh, concerning. He is um, he has and he takes every opportunity to talk about. I think he is a reflection of people's discriminatory thoughts. Ah. So he would say, or he would show, he is a man with power, saying to people that it's fine to judge, to hate, and to be violent against others. Yes, and, and many have likened him to a Brazilian version of Trump because, uh, because of his um, rhetoric in denigrating women as well as gay, trans, black, indigenous people, about speaking of um, torture, um, about like you said, being in favour, saying, you know, his supporters often saying, Ustra lives, Ustra being the dictator. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes, uh, very, I guess what's different about uh, Bolsonaro that isn't the same uh, with people like Macri or um, Piñera in Chile, although they're far right as well. I guess Bolsonaro is uh, further right than that, and so a lot of people have labelled him, and rightly so, I think, um, bordering or on fascism. 
Yes, yes, this is the thing. He's an extremist. He is far, far uh, right-wing um, view. And that connects a little bit, uh, actually, it connects directly with uh, Donald Trump's campaign and uh, his ideology. It's a new um, political ideology, which is now called alternative right, which is this extreme right in which uh, they confirm the hegemony of white heterosexual men as being superior over anyone else, over women, black people, indigenous and homosexuals, and over those belonging to the minority who try to have a voice, like feminists and the LGBT movement. And just like Donald Trump, Bolsonaro would say things like, it is fine to pay women less because they get pregnant. He, just, he actually said that. He also says, uh, he also said that uh, if he was elected, there will be not, no land designed for the indigenous Brazilians. He said that the, the deforestation of the Amazon will be done by the private sector, so he will open the Amazon for that. And look, as, uh, just like Donald Trump, he does this uh, aggressive uh, talk, and people some, uh, and his supporters would say, look, he wouldn't do that so extreme um, thing. And all the, the belief is that he will fix the economy. He will end corruption in Brazil. And, um, you know, it's just this uh, fixing idea that he will bring to Brazil. And, yes, the difference in between the other Latin American um, president, like Macri and, and uh, the president of uh, Chile, is that they are right. Uh, they, they are, uh, I'm sorry, they are uh, right wing but not so extremist, I, uh, my, I believe. And I don't think they would say things against the population, actually, or part of the population. No, and it doesn't mean that they're not acting in those ways, because as yes. we've seen in Argentina and Chile, the politics of those two conservative governments have been very damaging to those countries. But mm. I guess the difference with Bolsonaro is, one, the um, popular support that he's received, because he's won these elections by a majority vote. I think it's um, in the mid-50, 55% um, yes. people voted. Now, I don't know if Brazil has compulsory votes, or is it um, the voting system? Maybe you can touch on a little bit about that as well. Yes, yes. The, the voting in Brazil is uh, compulsory, but it's uh, it's quite easy to uh, not voting, and then you can justify your um, not, no voting online. So people uh, are are uh, obliged to go voting, but many actually don't. I think uh, I couldn't check. Uh, I don't think they released the uh, the percentage of uh, how many people actually did go vote in this uh, election, but it is roughly uh, 60% uh, of the, pop uh, the uh, people allowed to go voting. Uh, now, in, uh, in terms of, um, yes, the, the percentage of uh, Bolsonaro in the first round was actually more um, concerned, because he, he won with 46% of the voting in the first round, which we had, uh, the election had uh, 13 candidates. So he won 46% of the voting over another 
12 uh, candidates, including uh, Fernanda Dad from the Workers' Party. So then, because he, uh, uh, he didn't get the majority, so he needed 50% plus one vote to, to win in the f uh, first runoff. Uh, he didn't get it, so they went to the second runoff with uh, Fernanda Dad, who got 29% of the voting. So in the second round, he won with 55% against 45%. And most of these 45% uh, of uh, uh, the Workers' Party candidates, Fernando Dad, was because of the population actually went to, 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 to the streets to actually ask for the voting of those who didn't vote for Bolsonaro. There was a huge campaign against Bolsonaro in the, from the first round um, onwards, um, especially with the women, they went they went to streets in protest against him, and this is this has this has un, it, this was unprecedented, uh, having people on streets to fight against one candidature. That was the first time in Brazil, and this was against Bolsonaro. So it, it's really controversial his election uh, in Brazil. It's big. The, move, uh, the movement against him is really, really uh, important now. What do you see for when he does come to power in January? What do you see for for Brazil? I mean, there's, uh, like you said, the PT, the Workers' Party, which is massive, um, but there's also on-the-ground movements which have millions of members, like the MST, which he's also promised to outlaw and make an illegal organisation. Do you see more of this, like... I mean, almost uh, heading towards civil, not ci I wouldn't say civil war, but maybe a civil conflict in the country. Uh, conflict, yes. I, I, can, I can see, and it's already, ha already happening uh, um, between um, uh, supporters, not, not only supporters of PT, I would say. There are many other uh, left-wing uh, parties and supporters in Brazil that not, are not... Uh, only supporting PT, but uh, I can see the things um, Bolsonaro. Many many things Bolsonaro says that he will do actually depends on the Congress. He cannot just open, <clears throat> for example, open the Amazon uh, for deforestation. He cannot just uh, one of the, his his um, ideas is to. Uh, in the education sector is just to have online uh, classes, even for children. So it's, it's not the, the president to, who does it. He needs the, the Congress to approve. It needs to go through the Senate. It needs to go through the, uh, um, the House of the lower house. But he has the majority. Or it looks like he will have the majority. Because he, he comes from a, a very small uh, political party, and this is another thing, <laughs> you know. So, but all the, uh, it probably, he will probably have uh, many of the uh, right wing parties and central right as well uh, support. So he will probably have the majority. And he managed to elect many uh, members of parliament and senators. Uh, in, from his party, so it's it's really it's really unsettling. It's really concerning how yes. these these things are going to, to happen. But I think the most 
and more important is the social agenda that he hasn't, he doesn't have. There is nothing for uh, for people. Everything that can cut people's rights are the uh, is is the one that he defends. Uh, the legislation for workers uh, are to be reduced, limited health and education. So many things that are in the social agenda of uh, the Workers' Party is actually going to be uh, changed, and this is for sure. Thank you, uh, Denise, uh, for speaking to us on Completar Bailable, Denise Frizor, talking to us about the implications and I guess some of the dark times ahead for a country like Brazil. Reciar will be broadcasting live from the steps of the Victorian Parliament House in support of Defend and Extend Public Housing's 10-day vigil. Public housing, everybody's business. Join the Anarchist World this week at Parliament House, 10am to 11am, on two Wednesdays, the 14th and 21st of November. And yes, there is more. Also join Talk Back With Attitude at Parliament House, 10 to 11am, Thursday the 15th and the 22nd of November. Make public housing a significant issue for the forthcoming state election. Join us for these live broadcasts on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. You're on 3CR, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. It's right on 8 AM. The next interview may interest many of our 3CR listeners and volunteers because the Wheeler Centre is running their So You Think You Can Pod competition for the third year now. And to speak with us about this, the competition is Sophie Black. Sophie is Head of Publishing at the Wheeler Centre and sits on the advisory board for Melbourne University's Centre for Advancing Journalism and Human Rights Publication right now. Welcome, Sophie. Good morning. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So can you jump in and tell us a little bit about this competition? Sure, absolutely. So our uh, podcasting competition, So You Think You Can Pod, is now in its third year. uh, And we're really, really excited to offer um, podcasters this opportunity. It it means that... um, Everyone gets a chance to have their pictures prodded, workshopped and sharpened by a panel of audio producers. And then the winner walks away with a Wheeler Centre mentorship and prize pack, which is worth up to 8000 bucks. Fantastic. So how do people enter the competition? Um, well, they simply... It's free to enter, which is fantastic. Um, and you <clears throat> just need to sort of open with a bit of a pitch about the actual work. Um, so the concept, um, uh, what you're kind of aiming to achieve with the project, um, uh, basically, um, you know, whether or not it's a, you know, a narrative kind of long-form podcast, whether it's a bit of a chat um, and... Um, we're, we're looking for sort of 
pretty interesting ideas. It's a it's a pretty crowded market these days, so it's getting more and more difficult to stand out from the crowd. But um, if we think it's a really compelling concept um, with a kind of bank of knowledge behind it um, or a really interesting story, um, or maybe you've got access to really interesting interview subjects, um, that's something that's going to pique our interest. Um, so, yeah, we basically, we're, we're looking for the picture and then we're looking for a short audio clip for you to record um, just to give us a sort of hint of the flavour and the tone of the of, of what you're kind of shooting for. And we, we'd like to know what, um, how you sort of see the series taking shape, like whether or not it's a, a short sort of six-part series with maybe half an hour episodes um, or whether you see it as an ongoing kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's, that's the kind of detail that we're looking for. But you can also look up all of the um, uh, all of the requirements on our website at wheelercentre.com. Excellent. And there's been... So actually, I should say that the panel of judges is um, one of them. We know very well here at 3CR is a regioneur. So who else is on the panel? Uh, yeah, we've, we've got a really exciting judging panel this year. So we have Slate June Thomas, who will be coming out... Um, to be in conversation uh, with us ahead of the actual event, um, just talking about her career and her work at uh, Slate. She manages um, the whole suite of podcasts that they produce um, and has been involved in podcasting there from the very beginning. Uh, So we're kind of really interested in picking her brain about how the form has changed, um, what she's learned over the years. Um, and, of course, it's an incredible kind of time to be covering politics via podcast in the US as well. So we really want to know a bit about that from June. Uh, and then we've also got um, the amazing um, comedian and audio producer, Josie Long, ABC's Josie Long, uh, who will be Skyping in from London and she will be judging the work as well. Um so it's amazing to have those really eclectic voices in there. Um, they all come from very dis- different kinds of disciplines and produce very different kinds of podcasts. Uh, and then my colleague, uh, Senior Digital Manager John Chia, and I will also be on the judging panel. Excellent. And previous winners, so the last year's winner was um, Coel Healy. Cole Hilly, That's that? right, yes. WA. Yep. W with Waru. And then there was Michael Green, Andre Dow and Aziz with The Island. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about those two podcasts and where they are now? Sure, sure. So Cole, um, Cole's concept was really intriguing to us uh, uh, and it was called Waru, which is um, an Indigenous word for fire. So he was in- he's interested in the concept of fire and the way that it's embedded into the Australian psyche and all the different ways that that plays out. Um, so we're still sort of working away with him on that mentorship and bringing that work to life. And then the island, which won in the first year, um, which was, as you say, submitted by Michael Green and Andre Dow from um, a group of volunteer journalists called Behind the Wire. Um, and they had a really fascinating concept. If... if um, if a little tricky, um, it was very, very ambitious. Um, they came to the competition with 
hundreds and hundreds of hours worth of WhatsApp messages that they had recorded um, with Michael back in Melbourne uh, and uh, Aziz in uh, Manus Detention Centre. Um, over about 18 months, the two of them had been sharing uh, messages via WhatsApp, WhatsApp, little 30-second messages, uh, and they brought this incredible concept um, to the competition, which was to try to stitch those messages into some sort of narrative that told the story of both Aziz's experience and his life to date and what the experience was like of living uh, in the detention centre on Manus. So um, it really, it, the scope of the project was absolutely extraordinary and I think all of the judges were bowled over by that. Um, uh, but they, they, they were very upfront about the fact that they needed help in, in how the heck were they going to collate and pull all of this together. Um, so, yeah, they won in the first year and ultimately we were so impressed with them and so impressed with the project and the potential of the project that the Wheeler Centre came on board as co-producers with Behind the Wire. So we worked together very, very closely over 12 months uh, to produce a series which was ultimately called The Messenger and uh, it, it, you know, went on to um, win a lot of major awards, which was fantastic. The Grand Award at the New York um, Radio Festival and a Walkery Award for Best Audio um, and it has been sort of recognised all over the world, which has, has been amazing in terms of getting Aziz's story out there, but at the same time we're all very aware that Aziz remains on Manus and um, uh, he's still producing work from there in all sorts of various forms and we're actually working away on episode 11 of The Messenger at the moment. So while this competition, competition isn't um, necessarily a guarantee that we will produce the work, there is absolutely an opportunity for that to happen if we think that that can, that can be a fruitful collaboration. Excellent. And so for listeners, and I mean, there's a lot of people that volunteer at 3CR that um, are either, you know, well-established pod- podcasters or aspiring podcasters. How can people get involved? Um, best thing to do is to hit our website, wheelercentre.com, um, which has all the details of um, the prize, uh, has all the details around the entry requirements. As I said, though, it is free to enter. Uh, and the entries close on Wednesday, the 14th of, December, of November, so there's not a lot of time left. Um, but really the requirements, the entry requirements aren't particularly onerous. We really are just trying to get a flavour of the concept. Um, and you can also be really upfront about the kind of help you think you need. Um, we entrants, you know, as you say, they range from really experienced people to people who just have a really great idea and haven't got a huge amount of experience in audio at all. Um, that's not exact. That's not necessarily a deal breaker. So yeah, the 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 main thing now is to to head to our website and make sure you get those entries in by the 14th of November at 5 p.m. is is the hard deadline. Uh, and then the event where we announce finalists and workshops those three finalists, um, and we will announce the winning entry at that same event is on Wednesday the 5th of December. Uh, and that that's a fantastic event, um, even if you're not named as a finalist, even if you haven't entered. It's a really fascinating process to watch because it's some of the best brains in podcasting 
um, you know, talking about people's work in detail and what what works and what doesn't, and it, it's really um, entertaining, surprisingly, yeah. really entertaining uh, spectacle. But it, it, there's a lot to learn from it, and there's always a really um, big and healthy contingent of the Melbourne podcasting community there. So it's a good way to kind of catch up with people and and learn from other people's work. Amazing. Thank you, Sophie, for coming on Thursday breakfast this morning and telling us about the competition. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thanks. Okay, bye. Bye. Twenty eighteen marks twenty years since senior traditional owner Yvonne Margarula invited supporters to come to Mirar Country within Kakadu National Park to blockade the proposed Jabaluka uranium mine. Thousands answered the call. The mine was stopped. To commemorate this extraordinary anniversary, Conjaitme Aboriginal Corporation and the Australian Conservation Foundation have produced a gorgeous commemorative calendar. Standing strong, Jabaluka 20 years is a piece of history you don't want to miss. Order your copy today at mirar.net. That's M-I-R-A-R-R.net, a 3CR supporter. You're on 3CR, 855 AM. It's 8.12. And the final song dedication this morning, I've dedicated a song to Apech M and Scheherazade. The final one is a dedication for myself because it's the first morning on Thursday breakfast that I've been alone. But I have had people in the background. I've had Gab, Mario and MV helping me out. So thank you. But I'm going to play Sampa the Great and Remy's Flowers. You've got to remember, Nainok's a special day for us, fellas. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for Nadoc Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. Nadoc means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. Nadoc means a lot to me for my family and my people. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcasts. Happy Nadoc! Accented women. It seems so obvious to me that if you live in a, in a completely violent um, cultural milieu that it's going to translate into every aspect of women's lives. Accented women. What's a border? They don't see it like a big wall right along the... How the can country. people live ordinary lives when they're living in such an extraordinary situation where there are, two, where there are armies there and terrorists there and such conflict every single day of their lives? Accented women. A show by and about women from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds. Every Monday from 11am on Community Radio 3CR. You're on 3CR 855am. The song we just heard before was Flowers by local talents and I think legends Sampa the Great and Remy. And we also heard a community service announcement uh, about Beyond the Bars. Um, If you're available tonight and you'd like something to do, you should come down to Mesa at 6.30 for the Beyond the Bars 
2018 CD launch. Um, Mesa is on Gertrude Street and there'll be a whole heap of 3CR crew down there to say hello to. Next up, we're going to hear an interview between Robbie Thorpe, who spoke to Lydia Thorpe at the Elders um, Rally for 38 Nations, which occurred last Friday, the 26th of October. And Elders came together to call for their people's rights and for their voice in the treaty process. This is a really important um, rally going on here right at the moment. It's it's, uh, well attended. It's like there's about 500 people here. And we're just going through that, down for the a welcome the country with the Wurundjeri people, explaining what this land's about, filling everyone in, and we're just about to go into some of the speakers. So it's in response to our understanding of what a treaty process is. So I'm just right next to Lydia Thorpe. I'll get her to say a few words on 3CR about what the 38 Nations Rally is all about. Hello, everybody. We're here today on Wurundjeri country at Birangma, and we're gathering to voice, uh, the, well, have a voice for the 38 nations that have been denied part of this treaty process. The government have uh, run this process since the beginning, starting with the treaty working group, then the Treaty Assembly, now the Treaty Commissioner, and they've selected 11 nations out of 38 to uh, set up the framework towards treaty. How can we have any proper process when nations are being um, excluded? I've had calls from two elders this morning, one from Uncle Boydie, Yorta Yorta Elder, who turned 90 yesterday. And he told me that I'm doing the right thing and that all nations need to be at the table right from the beginning. And then my next call was from Uncle Bevan Harris and a bitter old man, one of the nations that would be excluded as part of this process. He wants a seat at the table for his people. So we have to send a message to the government, to the commissioner, that we're not going to um, stand by and allow them to select who sits at the table on our behalf. We need 38 nations represented. That was Lydia Thorpe, the MP for Norfolk. Been driving uh, a bit of this process. But I, I heard um, Lydia mention Uncle Uncle Boydie Cooper, who's um, been a warrior for our struggle. And the elders, like you said, 90-year-old Aboriginal man, got concerns as well. And, uh, you know... This, this rally is really well attended. I think it's timely that it's going on at Rogers moment. And we're really asked the question um, about has the state government got any good intent or good faith in this process? It's forcing our people once again to get up in the, on the streets, demand that our rights, our simple and most basic rights are met here. We're not going to let this slip by and allow the... Uh, you know, the, the establishment to get away with what they've been doing for the last 40 years in terms of the administration of our affairs. So uh, I think it's a really strong showing here and I think it'll uh, certainly influence the outcomes of what's going on. Very important. As we're coming up to this uh, state election, I think a, a lot of it's going to come to the to the fore. And, uh, you know, what we're looking for is some simple justice, really. This is what treaty process is really all about. And, as you know... Australia's the only Commonwealth country without treaty process. For me, um, those treaties preceded constitutions in every other con- country 
So, you know, we're, we're right behind uh, the eight ball in terms of the process here. But um, I can see the strength here today. Uh, it's very um, pleasing. A lot of uh, Aboriginal faces, young ones in particular, who are all sort of very determined where they're heading with all this. So we're in for a battle, as we know. I think uh, it's up to the state to show some good faith and good intent now. We're calling them out. Uh, as we said earlier, that uh, um, this treaty process needs to be preceded by a truth commission. If you haven't got the truth commission in place before, well, you're hardly talking about a treaty process. We're not talking about justice. We're just talking about the same old colonial thing that's been going on for a while. So hopefully this represents a real change in the way we live together in the state of Victoria. It can happen. It can happen right now. There's nothing stopping it. And we hopefully bring a lot more... As things start to get refined, uh, we all start to really get a, a, an understanding of this process and how it works. And that was Robbie Thorpe speaking to Lydia Thorpe at the 38 Nations Rally on Friday the 26th of October. And the 38 Nations Rally was to support the 27 nations not selected to sit at the, t- at the table in the Victoria- Victorian Treaty negotiations. So for more information, you can contact Lydia Thorpe's office, who's the Greens MP for Northcote. Our final song for the morning is one to get you up and dancing and out the door. It's a new one that I found, but this group's been around for a while. It's called The Wave by Lion Babe. You're on 3CR 855 AM, and that was The Wave by Lion Babe, which is a great summery song to kick you off on this Thursday, and it's meant to be 33 degrees, so maybe you can play that on your app while you're heading down to the beach. Uh, just before we go, we'll do a few community service announcements. Uh, the Chronicle, come along to Bohemian Rhapsody Fundraiser, the chronicle of the years leading up to Queen's legendary performance at Live Aid in 1985. And that's this Thursday, the 8th of November. Um, oh, next Thursday, sorry, at 6.30pm. And that's at Westgarth Cinemas, uh, 89 High Street in Northcote. It's $25 full and $20 concession. You can purchase tickets online through 3cr.org.au or direct from the station on 20, uh, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy or phone 94198377. There's also a rally on Saturday, November 10th, so that's next Saturday. It's the Stand Together Against Racism rally. It's to stop political and media vilification, uh, Freedom of association, not criminalisation, and jobs, education, and housing, not scapegoating. We're just about to wrap up the show, um, so I give a big shout-out to my 3CR presenters that couldn't come in today and to also my lovely coordinator and producer who are currently chatting in the other room. I can see them. Um, So thank you so much. Enjoy your Thursday. And stay tuned for Lost in Science. And we'll be back next week on Thursday Breakfast. But, of course, tune in tomorrow for Green Left Weekly Breakfast. 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377.